going to continue in our series. Uh, young people that have, need to be dismissed to iChurch, have they done that? They all, they've been gone a long time. <laughs> Russell's home. We don't have to listen to Harold. Praise God. <laughs> all right. We want to continue in our uh, a series, uh, Make Every Day Count. We want to talk about the incredible power of words. I want us to turn in our Bibles. If you have your Bible, let's hold those up first and uh, share our little thing we do every week. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. And be sure and high five or pound your neighbor there. Make, encourage him in the Lord. Amen. And turn in those Bibles you just held up to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I should have clued you ahead of time, Jeff, and had you have these up there, but that's all. That's okay. We'll just read these together, out of the Bible, together. Okay? And uh, would you stand in honor of the Word of God being read? As we share together, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 9, And David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, <clears throat> in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, and the son of Amiel, from Lobadar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely know kind, show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the, all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a, do a dead dog like me? Then the king said, Saul's servant, uh, called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had uh, 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord and king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of, king, of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. You may be seated. <clears throat> you have to go to four years of Bible college training to be able to read these names properly. <laughs> or, or look them up in a dictionary. <laughs> interesting all the names I'm sure glad I'm, I'm grateful in the new covenant we don't have to carry these old covenant names amen I'm grateful a king 
expressed one of the most beautiful acts of kindness to a literal outcast. For years, the half-crazed lunatic Saul had obsessively hunted David. Now that Saul was dead, David had been crowned king of Israel. It was common practice in those days to exterminate all of that previous king's family. As long as the spark of life from anyone within that family created potential problems for the new king. In 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone remaining from Saul's family I can show kindness to because of Jonathan? Now, the fact that he asked for kindness to be shown shows softness. And what David was expressing was a deeper demonstration of love that is undeserved, unearned, and unrepayable. David made a promise to Jonathan, you might remember, his best friend, his beloved friend, son of Saul. He said he would show kindness to the remaining members of Saul's household. You might want to reference 1 Samuel 20, verses 15 and 16 for that promise. And so David now intends to keep that promise. Finding the only remaining blood relative of Saul's family, however, was not a simple matter. In 2 Samuel 4, we find Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the report about Saul had, uh, and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she was hurrying to flee, he fell and became lame. His name, Mephibosheth, in verse 4 of chapter 4, 2 Samuel. So he was crippled because the nurse dropped him. Living in obscurity and poverty because anyone that was like this was an outcast. Much the way they are in our culture in 2008 today. Amen? Amen? Really? Amen? It's true, isn't it? It is true. We go out of our way to walk around somebody that's crippled. But we don't want to be inconvenienced with them. We don't want to be, we don't want to take the time that sometimes it takes to help somebody that's not doing as well as you and I are, who are perfect in every way. If you don't believe that, just ask yourself. In verse 7, David, instead of finding a way to get rid of Saul's descendants, says, Don't be afraid, since I intend to show you kindness because of your father Jonathan, I will restore you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. David's words were not just token words. They were powerful words. They were symbolic words of God's love for David. He then was extending that love to someone else. His was a demonstration of what the love of God looks like. You and I need to also extend that kind of love. The greatest example of that is in traffic. 
People are goofy out there. Cell phones, eyelashes and cell phones. They're driving with their leg, their knee. Cell phone, eyelashes, lip gloss and cell phone. Eating with a cell phone. You've seen them. Quit talking about me like that. <laughs> okay. They're nuts, aren't they? Drive. Oh, my goodness, they drive. They cut in, they cut out, they cut in, they cut out. I know some of you have been following me. I know. Cut in, cut out. I'm telling you. And what do we do when we get cut off? That is our chance to show the love of God. I'll show them the love of God right here. <laughs> As we get right up, on their right up on the trunk of their car, right? Just like somehow that's going to really intimidate them. Right? We get right up on the on real close like, well, I'll get you now. I'll get you now. If they ever stop, what do we do? Crash right into them. And it'll be your fault. And you'll get a ticket and your steam will rise more. I've found myself lately starting to do this when they when they do that kind of stuff and they just slow down. So I just I'll just slow way down. I'll I'll pull off to the side of the road. I've been pulling off to the side of the road and just going, huh. I may even sing a song. I thought about just stopping in the middle of the freeway. <laughs> Let them get distance between me and them. <laughs> you got it. Just back off from them. Or speed up to them and hold up the Bible. I thought about making a sign that says, God loves you, and just pass them and just go, you know. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the love of God would be responded by. Mephibosheth must have felt the greatest release and relief when David told him why he called him because I'm sure he felt, knowing he was Saul's descendant, the last one, that his life was over. What can we learn about the words we can speak from this story? Number one, dignity is the most important, valuable asset. Dignity is the most valuable asset. This crippled Mephibosheth, an outcast, a remnant of that previous dynasty, hearing David's gesture of grace in verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Man, he had a tremendous self-esteem, didn't he? Two things you notice about this verse. Number one, the Jews despised dogs. They used that to describe the worst of people. You dog. You dirty dog. And he calls himself a dead dog. There's nothing worse than a dead dog for smell, for bloating, See him on the side of the road while you're trying to eat your Taco Bell <laughs> on your cell phone. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. Driving with your left knee. Lost your contact. All right. You're trying to get that one eye focused so you can see. Boy, it's sad. That there are people out there like that, aren't they? I know some of you are going, yeah, man, he must have been watching me drive. I'll tell you but he describes himself and compares himself to the foulest, nastiest thing that he could think of. As he lay prostrate before the king in a moment of great vulnerability, 
perhaps the name calling of a lifetime came flooding over him. You can imagine all of his life, the names that he was called. The ridicule he received. There is power in words. We can bring a blessing or a curse based on words. I've told very few people this, but I'm going to tell my church family this. When I was 14 and my father died of a heart attack, the military doctor, they're really noted for their bedside manner, the military doctor walked into the room where all five of us boys stood. And he looked around the room and he said, one of you boys is going to die like your dad just did. Ooh, I'm 53. He died at 54, so I've got a limited time. Because none of the other brothers died of a heart attack. I'm the only one left. You see how I've carried that? Because those words are powerful. The good news is my blood pressure is 120 over 84. My heart rate 65. I love it because Cindy's blood pressure is off the, off the chart. And I always call her. I said, baby, just come back from the doctor. Here's what my blood pressure is. I don't want to hear it. Click. <laughs> she just clicked. <laughs> and if I'm, if I'm exercising regularly, my blood pressure goes even lower. How about that? But if I don't change some of my ways, I'm going to kill my heart, <laughs> you see. Because that's the way we do, isn't it? But see, that curse was put on me when I was 14. Wow. I've never forgotten those words. I've asked my brothers. They don't remember the doctor ever saying that. So why is it that it stuck with me? I don't know. But praise God, he can lift every curse. Praise God, he can take every bad word and turn it for good. Amen. And you see, and this is what's happening in Mephibosheth's life. Crippled, an outcast, dead dog. Man of shame, David never spoke such words. In verse 4, he says, where is this son? One wonders how long it had been since Mephibosheth was called a son. Words have a way of changing us, don't they? Dads, dads, you carry so much weight in what you say to your children. If you ridicule them, that's how they live. And I'm telling you, I was the chiefest of sinners in the way of, of sarcasm. I would sarcastically speak to my boys, assuming that they would know I was kidding and do a different way when they took it and internalized it. And I'm so grateful that one of them had the guts to say, Dad, quit doing it to us. Wow. I had no idea it was infecting them that way. So I shifted and I started saying, be an encourager and not a discourager. Be an encourager. So when they get out of the, uh, of the car to go to elementary school, I said, be an encourager, not a discourager. When they would get out, when they'd leave the house to go to high school, I said, be an encourager, not a discourager. When I'd see them in the afternoon, I said, did you encourage somebody or discourage them today? Did you make a new friend today? They said, no, Dad didn't make a new friend. I said, you need to make a new friend tomorrow. And be an encourager in their life. 
So when my son Mark introduced me to speak at Dallas Christian College last spring, that was the way he introduced me. He said, my dad taught me to be an encourager, not a discourager. Whew. I'll take that. I'll take that. That's the blessing you need to put out. And, and dads, you have that power. A salesman named Mr. Ezel traveled a lot buying shoes for the shoe store he and his wife owned and operated. On some of his overnight trips, he would take some of his some company with him. Sometimes it was his kids, but oftentimes he would take an African-American named Willie. <clears throat> on one of those overnight trips, he, he pulled into a motel to stay the night. Mr. Ezel and Willie walked to the front desk and requested a room for the two of them. Looking at the salesman, the desk clerk said, I can... I can give you a room, but I will not give one to him, pointing at Willie. If he can't stay, then I won't stay, answered Mr. Ezell. They walked out, and out in the parking lot, Willie said, Mr. Ezell, you can stay in that room. I'll sleep here in the van. I'll be all right. No, replied Mr. Ezell. If they, if they won't let you stay in that hotel, then I won't stay either. You are like family to me. And they both slept in the van that night. At Mr. Ezell's funeral, Willie related that story to the family. He said that their, that their dad's words changed his life. For years, he had thought of himself as a second-class and a second-rate person. But when Mr. Ezell said, you are like family to me, it changed his self-esteem and his dignity. Words are powerful. Encourage each other. Don't discourage. I suspect that David's words changed Mephibosheth's life too. Words have power, bring healing, bring restoration. Unkind words can damage, while kind words can lead one to wholeness. Secondly, I want you, second thing I want you to learn is acceptance is a most wonderful feeling. Mephibosheth's life had been one of rejection. But notice four times... In this short chapter, <clears throat> that we're made aware that Mephibosheth ate at David's table. When it said, you will always eat meals at my table. It went on to say, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. And then fourthly, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Four times it tells us that and reminds us the good words that David poured into his life. Jesus, the king's table was not a temporary honor. It would have a pension from the king for the rest of his life. This castaway knew the wonderful feeling of acceptance. He knew the joy of being drawn into a family. He knew the warmth of love. He knew the contentment that comes when somebody cares. While traveling in Switzerland, a preacher was sitting at a crowded bus stop. People were milling around waiting for the next bus to come along. And since the Swiss are perfectionists, everyone knew that the bus would be right on time. Not a minute too soon, not a minute too late. And as he was waiting on the corner, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a little boy about six or seven years old ambling toward the bus stop. He appeared to be walking aimlessly without a care in the world. And when he locked uh, or looked behind him, he realized that he was walking alone. Fear overcame him. And he began to cry out, somebody, somebody. And the closer he got, the words he spoke confirmed that he was a Down syndrome child. The louder he called for somebody, the wider the people parted to avoid that child. He began to look around at the people almost as if he were a cornered animal. 
with the attacking force surrounding him. Somebody, somebody, he shouted. His face grew white from fright. Preacher thought to himself, somebody ought to do something. Finally, the bus pulled up and people started to get on while this boy kept yelling, somebody. And then out of the crowd came a young woman who answered, somebody. She gathered him up in her arms, held him tightly, and quieted him by whispering, somebody, somebody. And by now this preacher had boarded the bus, and as he waited for the bus to pull away from the curb, he saw another woman running toward the lady holding that Down syndrome child. At that moment, he realized that the second lady was the mother of the child, while the first lady was just a kind person who saw someone hurting and in need and reached out in love. When's the last time you went out of your way in your comfort zone to do that, folks? What an unbelievable response. Isn't it funny that we tend to stay away from the Mephibosheths of the world? The crippled, the handicapped, the marginalized. Yet they need to be held in self-esteem. They're like all people. They matter to God. Third thing I want you to pick up is restoration is a most cherished need. David was not through with Mephibosheth. He gave him a new identity, a new position, and now he was going to provide for his needs. Look at verse 7. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. Restore means to bring back into existence or use or to put back uh, someone back in a proper position. If you are robbed, it's not enough to forgive the person for robbing you. They need to restore to you what they robbed from you. Right? Well, we live in a culture that doesn't believe that. No. No, we don't, we, don't, we don't believe that. Just listen to them. They'll tell you it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Well, they shouldn't have left their door unlocked. Well, what are you doing going in the door? What do they say? If, you're gonna, if somebody breaks in your house, you better shoot them inside your house. Because if they fall outside your house, they'll arrest you for killing that person even though they got one leg hanging in and the rest of their body hanging out, if that happens to you, push them in your house. Oh, we live in a goofy culture, don't we? But David, David began to restore. He could have ignored Mephibosheth. He could, he could have, and really, who would have blamed him for doing that? He could have confronted him, but David, he could have even ignored him, but he didn't. But what about the people like Mephibosheth all around us? Some with broken hearts, others with damaged emotions, some with crushed spirits, many with wounded bodies, others with shattered souls, and a lot with physical needs. Are we ignoring them like a ding in a car door? Like garbage in the dumpster, when Thomas Edison was developing the incandescent light bulb, an apprentice dropped the completed light bulb after hours of work. After more hours of fashioning a new one, when it was time to carry the new one, Thomas Edison gave that newly formed bulb back to the man who had dropped the previous one. That act of restoration restored that man's life. 
We all need people like that in our lives. Fourth thing I want you to know. And lastly, kindness is a most godly trait. In every walk of life, it's important to follow that old Texas maxim, hug your friends tight, but your enemies tighter. Hug them so tight that they can't wiggle. (laughs) And that's what God does for us. Because God is kind because He cannot be otherwise. It's essential to His nature. And likewise, that kindness becomes a part of our new nature. That comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Kindness becomes a part of our conduct because our character is rooted in God. The poet Robert Burns stated this, The heart benevolent and kind the most resembles God. Let's not overlook that verse in verse 3 where David said, he David asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family I can show the kindness of God to? Wow. That word kindness is a Bible word, hesed. It means loving faithfulness. God demonstrated grace and kindness to David so many times in so many ways. His life had been spared on numerous occasions. He fought the great giant Goliath, and he won. He had escaped snares and dangers of wild beasts. His life had been redeemed from the pit of pain and hunger and desertion more than a few times. And now David wanted to reciprocate that kindness. Those who have been touched by grace, by the grace of God, want and must pass it on. Solomon in Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, But a good, kind word cheers it up. Cheers it up. You ever been down and somebody just come in and said something to you? Just picked you right up? Woo, man, that's good stuff. Won't you be that picker-upper? You be that person. It's been said, I expect to pass through this world, but once any good thing, therefore, I can do, or any kindness that I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Someone also said the greatest thing a man can do for his heavenly father is to be kind to his other children. Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote this. So many gods, so many creeds, so many paths that wind and wind, while just the art of being kind is all the sad world needs. William Wordsworth was right when he wrote, on that best portion of a good man's life, his little nameless and unremembered acts of kindness and of love as you live each day at home, at school, at work, at church wherever you are you will find yourself in situations where you are asked to commit to speak to use your words often the volatility of that situation can ignite or dissipate merely on the words you utter I want you to think of it this way That situation is like a little fire. Not big, not out of control, not destructive yet. And you have a bucket in each hand. In one bucket is water, and in the other is gasoline. At the point that you are given a choice, you can pour the bucket of water on the fire and put it out, or you can pour the bucket of gasoline on the fire and see it spread out of control. Your choice. In every situation, you can utter words that communicate rejection, Words that restore a person to wholeness or destroy them to pieces. Parents, you do that with your kids every day. 
or not, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Young people, you do that to yourselves. You get on Facebook and you'll say things that you wish you'd never said. But once it's out, what happens? Can't get it back. You ever said something and wish you hadn't said it and you're going, trying to, trying to suck it back in? Gone. You're ugly. Now, you may, you're only kidding. But they're not receiving that way because they've been told all their life how ugly they are. I think we need to do the old Billy Crystal Fernando Lamas thing and always tell people, you look marvelous. You look marvelous. Simply marvelous, darling. No matter how you feel, darling, you look good and you, 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 you look good. You look marvelous. Simply marvelous. That's a pretty poor imitation, but you get the idea. We've got to find good words to say. We've got to find kind words to say. Words that uplift. Phyllis comes back to help me close. One last thought. What David did for Mephibosheth, God does for us. Just as the king brought the outcast into the palace and made him a son, God adopts us into his forever family. He makes us joint heirs with Jesus Christ who paid the price on Calvary's tree so that you and I could have eternal life forever. He took the sins upon Himself as He died upon that cross, so you and I would not have to suffer those sins. All He asked from us is that we accept that. And we respond to Him. And we say, I'm a sinner standing in the need of forgiveness. And Lord, I come to You today humble in every way, on my knees, crying out to you, for I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And then we take, we, if we really mean business, we head to the water, we wash it away, we rise to walk in a new life, that's what the Bible says. That becomes our identifying mark with the cross of Christ. And from there, the battle begins. And from there, the fun begins. Because when Christians don't act like the world, but act like Christians, it throws the world into a tailspin because they're not used to us pulling up and saying Jesus loves you I had a guy backing right out in front of me in a neighborhood the other day I saw him coming I saw he wasn't stopping rather than hit my horn and make a big deal I just stopped his wife saw me and she did all I needed to do she turned and smacked him right <laughs> I mean she did I was watching this just going whoa that's cool She saw me coming, and she goes, stop, stop. You could sit, read her mouth, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and when, when he stopped, finally, he looked. You know, she went, wham, right across the back of his neck. I went. <laughs> I said, Jesus, you're so good. So it's on how we respond, isn't it? John Maxwell, my favorite speaker. John Maxwell, and I'll close with this. John said, I cannot dictate or control what you say about me, how you feel about me, what you think about me. I can only control my reaction to what you do or say or think. Amen? Lord, we ask you this morning to be very real in our lives today. Father, we ask you that you would be real in the lives of these, your people here today. 
Father, we need you. We need you desperately to be in our life. We need you desperately to confront us every day with the sin that so easily entangles us. Because, Father, we get entangled. We get entangled sometimes in ways that we're not even realizing. We haven't unhitched some of those wagons from our past. Oh, we've been to the water and we've been baptized. We've risen to walk in a new life. And somehow we just keep stumbling on the same old, same old, same old, same old. Father, today would be a good day to draw a line in the sand and unhitch those wagons and say, I ain't going back there. Not going back there anymore. I'm going to be everything that you've called me to be. I'm going to be everything you want me to be. But more than anything, I'm going to be a forgiver. I'm going to be an encourager. And my words are going to carry powerful examples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So Lord, if there's somebody in this room today that's struggling, that just needs a word of encouragement, would you, would you encourage them in their heart to make that decision? It takes a lot of courage, Father, to stand in front of anybody and say that we've made some mistakes. But what I love about this church is that we're a group of people that are going to do our very best to love everyone like you love us. We don't do it right all the time, but we're sure trying. And I thank you for those people that are in this church that embody that and live that way. If somebody needs to make a decision today, Lord, would you prompt them? In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together. Just as